welcome to this podcast series for the Angaza Awards sponsored by Kenyan Wall Street. Today we're talking with Millicent Omukaga, a 2022 top 10 woman to watch in banking and finance, and the advisor women empowerment policy and affirmative finance at the office of the president, African Development Bank. Welcome Millicent, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Madam Marita. As you know, I'm a banker, uh, both in leadership and technical, uh, with leadership and technical expertise uh, in banking policy analysis and strategy as well as operations. I've done this over the last 23 years, working in both policies and strategies for inclusive finance, basically. And uh, during this time, I've led multidisciplinary project teams have also managed uh, diverse portfolios of both lending and non-lending programs. I currently work at the African Development Bank as a policy advisor on affirmative finance. And, uh, previously, I worked uh, directly responsible for financial performance for strategy and reserves as a chief operating officer of a national Development Finance Institution. I've worked as a general manager of a bank. I worked as a head of programs for a Pan-African Network organization. And I've also served as a senior manager in both national and regional commercial banks over those uh, 23 years, which I spent uh, on major reforms and organizational structurings that transform uh, delivery of service in the finance and banking sector, but all of them around inclusive finance, both public and private sector. But uh, alongside my banking work, I've had the privilege to serve my country in other key positions like a commissioner for university education. I was once uh, asked to set up, uh, lead the setting up of the National Research Fund for Kenya and uh, earlier on in my career, I, I served as a national treasurer for the Kenya Girl Guides Association. So these are roles that have delivered in an excellent manner, at least according to the feedback uh, from the key stakeholders. Uh, still currently, I chair the Women Economic Empowerment uh, Work at the Gender Sector Working Group for Kenya and I'm also with the African Women Leadership Network. Uh, my qualifications, I have a PhD in Development Studies, Master's in Business Administration, and a BCom First Class Honours Degree. I'm also a qualified banker, uh, accountant, and also certified in Project Management for Development. Of course, I do have uh, other interests, uh, like uh, having served in corporate and non-corporate boards, and as well as those national structures uh, that I've mentioned for inclusive development. And for this uh, contribution, I have uh, been privileged to receive some distinguished awards and recognitions, for example, from the Harvard Business School Fellowship for Inclusive Finance. I have been commended severally and eventually got a fellowship from the Institute of Certified Public Accountants for my contribution to the profession. Then of course last year, I was honored to receive a Trailblazer Award from uh, Her Excellency for Financial Inclusion for Women and Girls uh, in my country. 
So I'm happy to have lived to serve my country and the African women and girls one at a time. I do belong to professional networks like the Institute of Certified Public Accountants, uh, Women on Boards in Kenya, because African Women Leadership Network, as I mentioned, among others. I'm a Kenyan, as you know, born and married uh, in Busia. This is a town right at the border of Kenya and Uganda, the county that keeps me really focused on what I'm doing. And as you may know, it, this place has also produced some of the finest leaders like Professor Julia Ojiamu. So I'm proud to, to say that I come from Busia at the border of these two countries. Thank you, Marita. Thank you, Milsens. So we'll go directly into the question. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on Africa's untapped she economy. Thank you, Marita. My thought first is that the she economy here, you mean the women participating in the economic uh, landscape of, of our continent. Uh, they could be uh, at either production or at value addition in the market, even as consumers or enablers of the economic sectors. So this is a very uh, critical uh, economy, the she economy, whether they are producing or consuming or enabling and, and a, a sector that cannot be, a section that cannot be ignored. And as you understand now, the global economy is still in shock uh, from COVID-19. And uh, of course, there's a lot of focus on vaccination and what, but there's urgent need for economic recovery that is uh, currently on the policymakers' agenda. And why? Because uh, inclusion in entrepreneurship or in the business space is critical to any economy. And so uh, one group in a society is not sharing or thriving in businesses, then it will not uh, optimally lead to job creation or innovation or even income generation as desired in any economy, uh, as well as other benefits that new businesses or entrepreneurship bring to an economy or the society. So I last saw the report of the Global uh, Entrepreneurship Monitor, if you, have, you are familiar with it, the GEM for 2021 actually still maintains that uh, while most economies globally, the new businesses are mostly started by men than women, Africa is different. Uh, it actually records the opposite and the highest levels of female entrepreneurship, according to this report, are found in Africa and Middle East with just uh, over half of adult women. In Angola, for example, you find that uh, women are starting and thriving uh, at a faster rate than, than the men. So it just goes to show that if we have to have sustainable development, then it has to be inclusive, uh, especially on this economic uh, space. Uh, I see this uh, she economy as, as really an opportunity that should not be missed. And it would be tragic that uh, a continent like ours can close an eye to it and our people if, if we don't act with a sense of urgency to address uh, these gaps that we know, whether in access to finance or in terms of impeding the business environment, then our, the continent might lose a lot. 
Of course, as you know, Marita, uh, there are possible explanations of these gender gaps, depending on which part of, of the world. But uh, they range from road expectations, uh, identities, the social, the society, culture, and even the entrepreneurial environment itself. But I like to look at the Xi economy, not homogeneously, but from an aspect of heterogeneity. You know that women are not the same. Uh, it's, as a market segment, economically speaking, they're also not the same. So we have younger women, older women, women in different sectors. Some are in the informals, some are already in the formal sector. The regions are different. So when we are looking at the Xi economy, it's good to approach it from a heterogeneity perspective and look up to the policies that would catalyze this positive change to see, including increasing representation of women that champion these issues. So I know Angaza is helping us to look up and shine light, but also it's important that this she economy experiences uh, mentorship, the women that have gone ahead to extend a hand to the next generation of uh, those who, that are still struggling in the she economy behind us to also catch up. So like I said, it is an economy that cannot be ignored, uh, whether as producers or as consumers or as enablers uh, to sustain uh, development, particularly post-COVID. Thank you. Thank you, Milson. Um, thank you for that response, very detailed response. Um, the next question is, maybe you can give us a few examples of, of what the African Development Bank is doing um, to increase the, the financial, I'm um, sorry, uh, of how the financial sector has helped unlock value for women on the continent. You can give us examples of what FDB has done on this. Okay, uh, before we even jump to FDB, all the institutions that I have had the privilege to work with are actually doing something to transform the landscape of access to finance for women, especially women entrepreneurs, whether micro or uh, the informal or, or, or even the structured SMEs. Uh, for example, uh, KCB, that's where I started uh, with. The KCB is really deliberately targeting this market segment and with various initiatives that are supposed to build businesses for both men, women, for the young, for the old. So it's a good case study if one wants to see how it can be done. I also can proudly mention the Family Bank. It's one institution that I saw changing the landscape of access to finance for women entrepreneurs. It's actually the first place that I worked on a credit guarantee scheme that could enable women who didn't have adequate collateral to access our uh, financial services. So that is also a very good case that uh, can be looked at. But you know, as you saw, or as we already talked about, the Kenya Women Microfinance Bank has been, and I hope maybe there is still no other, the Women Bank started as an NGO. I was privileged to be part of the transformation and I worked there as a general manager. And that is one institution that has also tried to transform financial access to women entrepreneurs one at a time, getting them from 
groups, even in fact, helping them to form groups before they can access finance and bundling up products, risk management to debt, to capacity building, all of them together to transform the landscape of access to finance for women. So that's a very good case study in my view of how an institution working together with regulators and, and partners can actually transform financial access landscape for women, uh, women entrepreneurs. Of course, uh, my very passionate uh, agricultural finance corporation, you know, as a, a state-owned agency to take the bold steps that the institution has taken in the recent past to include financially women in agribusiness is really laudable. So I see also a mix and a bundle of uh, many, many initiatives with it, whether it has to do with collateral or capacity of the women or capacity of the institution or even just in terms of structuring the financial services themselves to meet the needs of these women. So that is also an example that uh, I can mention of how a non, you know, a non-private sector organization, this is a public institution, a national DFI, state-owned really, and they are doing a great work in uh, including women. Uh, in finance for agriculture. And then definitely you mentioned African Development Bank uh, with its very many initiatives targeting uh, the women and men, but the most uh, talked about at this point is of course the affirmative finance action for women in Africa, what we famously call FAWA. This is an initiative of the African Development Bank to close the financing gap for women in Africa. Because there are many other partners that uh, the bank works with, but the main idea is to unlock their entrepreneurial capacity, economic participation, so that they can achieve their development impact. So this program works, has three pillars: access to finance, then there's capacity building for the women entrepreneurs and technical assistance for the participating financial institutions, and then there's a lot of work going on on the enabling environment and some of the instruments that are of interest to you, like guarantees, credit guarantees, and lines of credit, equity investments, all of these are coupled with the technical assistance and capacity building, as well as starring the enabling environment. So those, uh, those are some of the ways that I've seen uh, financial institutions uh, seek to contribute to transformation of the landscape for the sake of the women entrepreneurs. Thank you, Millicent, um, for that detailed response. So um, just let us know um, some of the examples of innovative financial products that target the she economy. So from debt to risk management, capital markets and retirement, some of the innovative ones that you have come across. Thank you. I have uh, come across or have been involved in uh, them, uh, thankfully. And I like to quote the debt, of course, is the easiest one to say that women can access loans. But you know, there's something that uh, we always say that we can give the women loan, but some of them, the capacity is, is, may not be. So the issue of perceived risk also for the women entrepreneurs. So we need to put uh, measures in place to address the inherent risk and perceived risk in the women's market segment. 
So I have examples in mind like uh, I've already mentioned the family bank in the credit guarantee scheme that they supported the women to top up their collateral uh, gap. But also I have been involved in, because uh, when I work for Kenya Women, the microfinance bank, we brought in the issue of insurance, especially for the agribusiness line. Insurance, whether it was for livestock or for crops, the women that were trading had to get insurance for their stocking, uh, trading stock. The ones that were in the animal production also working with insu agricultural insurance providers to manage risks in that area. So insurance, agricultural insurance at a small scale and medium scale was one such great initiative by the Kenya women. Of course, the, uh, the loans were designed to meet the women at their levels, the very small, the micro small, and then small like that. And that has continued over time. And I'm very proud of uh, the managing director who has kept on the vision, Mr. Mwangi Gidaiga, to keep on supporting women in that manner. And why I say it innovative is because insurance is not understood by many people, even in business. Businesses collapse and the owners didn't take time to insure their stock or their, their own lives or anything. So I think that's a bold initiative for KWFT to not just focus on credit. And now they do also provide deposit products, savings products, remittances, as you know, it was one of the first microfinance banks to employ digital financing and mobile banking for the women. The other good example I see that I have directly participated in is uh, with the Agricultural Finance Corporation, an initiative we call the Women Affirmative Access to Finance Window. Wow, called it wow. And this also was meant to address the capacity collateral capacity and collateral requirements of the women in agribusiness in addition to the credit that was being offered to them. So WOW is developing well and targeting the women in agriculture and agribusiness. And I think that is really an innovative way. Um, fortunately, the institution was able to set up a credit guarantee scheme that supports not just itself, but also the financial institutions or financial intermediaries that it works through. So under its wholesale lending model, then we have intermediaries like other MF, MFIs, microfinance banks, and circles. Circles are the savings and credit uh, societies uh, that are regulated already in Kenya. So they can borrow from AFC and also ride on there guarantee facility that uh, is available so that they are able to, to pass this to the women, especially there was women and youth emphasis. But before this, wow, we also had very innovative initiatives to get the very low and structured uh, families that, that could be helped. I don't know, maybe you understand the graduation uh, model getting the very unbanked together to get the capacity and then graduating to become clients that then these financial intermediaries can lend to. So a few examples that I was involved in, there was one uh, called RIP, 
and that was supported by the USAID through ACDI VOCA in Kenya, working with the Northern Kenya. And AFC was selected to be the financial institution to implement this. And of course, others continued. There was BOMA project that was financed by also USAID and IFAD. The IFAD is a UN agency that funds agriculture and rural development. So this kind of uh, innovation need a lot of strategic partnership. AFC may want to target, and they are not able to take this level of risk. They partner with an, a like-minded uh, institution to address the risks so that these men and women can access financing. Because it's only as risky as a risk appetite of an institution. I think we should not leave out a market segment because of perceived risk, because that the perception is with the lender. So is the lender really to find a way of putting structures in place to take advantage of such, um, you know, such important uh, segments. Because as you know, in business, the higher the risk, the higher return. The return. This is not philanthropy. It's not humanitarian. This group takes money and pays back. I can give you guarantee from my experience with Kenya women and the others. They will take with all the risk they have, and they will pay back. Agriculture as well, you know, is perceived as very risky. So anybody going to play in this place, uh, space must then be able to structure very innovative uh, solutions that take care of the risks involved, including the market. So usually you have the risks from production or disease and pests and climate risks. But when you have done well and the, the produce is bumper, then there's a risk of market access as well and um, price fluctuations and all that. So the lender must be able to see risk end to end and work with partners that can help manage these risks so that the women and men can access these uh, this, this uh, solution. So of course, the last one that you had, I already mentioned, was the Afawa one, which is really uh, a mega one that is uh, going to unlock uh, up to five billion of US dollar for the African women entrepreneurs uh, really over the next five years. It's already being implemented in several countries in Africa, and Kenya is one of them. So those are some of the examples of uh, the instruments I can mention uh, or examples of how I've seen uh, this issue of uh, the she economy access to finance uh, being tackled. And I have been privileged really to be part of this. It's not something I when I read or I had, I was part of it, including the one at ADB I was there initially as a technical um, advisor and then uh, participated through until uh, now it's it's been rolled out and I'm still happy to be involved with it. Thank you. Thank you, Millicent. Um, given your vast experience, um, um, based on the examples you shared with us, what are some of the learnings from your experience as a gender policy advisor? Thank you, uh, Marita. Because the learnings are always many, but I restrict myself to the ones that have got to do with policy advisory. As a banker, for me, I've learned that it's important to walk the talk if you are to deliver on the policy work. And uh, this is one of the greatest lessons I have learned. From the moment I discovered that gender is hardly on top of many people's agenda, agenda 
I learned that I must be committed and deliberate in embracing this as each issue of financial inclusion for women and gender within myself and my own circles before I push it to any other person. So we've discussed some of the transformative initiatives that can push gender inclusion in the banking and finance at policy or strategy and operations. But to work on such initiatives, Marita, requires a firm grounding in knowledge, in research, in data, in policy, as well as the courage and the commitment, not just to establish, but to implement the initiative. So I've learned to listen to others, what they have to say, including the opposing views without taking it personally, because I've had people telling me, oh, you are no longer in mainstream banking, you're talking more about women, and uh, yeah, but my path is banking. I'm a banker right inside my blood. I just want that the banking must work for both women and men. The other lesson I learned is that gender, of course, this is known, uh, gender equality makes economic sense, but here I'm looking beyond the returns of investment to economic dividends of gender equality. The examples I gave you of BOMA, BOMA project and RIP uh, in Northern Kenya, and these were conditional transfer programs. Uh, really, most of the grantees were women, and the cash grants um, from the impact evaluation led to greater investment in children's education, nutrition, health, and this helps to break multi-generational poverty traps, as you know. The one very important lesson also I learned is that literacy, literacy and literacy is among the very simple ways to push gender equality. So what do I mean? It is uh, as a banker and an accountant, we have to invest in financial literacy, in bookkeeping. And since I discovered that this is one of the ways to do this, I have invested in that and spent time explaining how to keep books, how to count number of acres, if it's in agriculture, how many acres should give you how many trees, how many trees should give you how many bush, uh, uh, how many bushes should give you how much of, of, of the seeds and all that. So I think even lawyers can do the same, providing legal literacy as we try to address the these legal reforms uh, and the environmentalists can do the same, the accountants can do the same, literacy. It's true that policy can be pursued to ensure gender equality is part of country's laws, but if there's no literacy around uh, what we are talking about, then it's not easy to sustain. So I usually say as a policy practitioner, literacy is very important. Of course, empirical evidence, as you know, is very key. I remember when I was pushing for the WOW initiative that I mentioned to you, I had to commission a study with the support of development partners, of course, collaborating with the institutions that uh, would have the mandate for national data like Kenya National Bureau of Statistics, Kipra and the like. So as you know, Marita, gender conversations can be quite emotive and that even at policy level. So it's better to use facts ensure results. And if you can have impact evaluation that shows some concrete facts on the benefits of your policy or program, it helps with persuading uh, skeptics. Um, another lesson is to contextualize. As a policy practitioner, uh, you have to contextualize because gender issues can be highly nuanced and sometimes interlinked with other 
dimensions of poverty. When you look at poverty, it can be because of resource constraints or opportunities and choice or power or voice or just human security. So it's good that we, when uh, working on a policy, for example, there were example I gave you of loan collateral and actually alternative collateral policy. I learned that what worked in Kenya didn't necessarily work in Tanzania, even though they are neighboring countries. So while working for Africa as head of programs, pushing uh, inclusive development policies for agriculture and rural, it's really opened my eyes that we have to contextualize. The gender policy work needs this in-depth understanding of what it has taken. So we cannot copy-paste solutions because it worked in the urban, it will work in the rural, or it worked in one country, it will work on the other one. Of course, we must always hear the voices of the people who will be affected by our policies and understand their needs. As I worked as a general manager, even as a chief operating officer, I spent time with women entrepreneurs in the marketplaces, including my hometown in Busia, just listening, observing, asking them why they did what they did in the manner they did in their small businesses. And as you know, with that interaction, you are also able to see the intersectionality of gender with religion, race, age, ethnicity, all those intersectionalities that make uh, gender policy conversations quite complex and sometimes sensitive. So when you're going down, you can do be culturally and uh, socially aware of the challenges that uh, the policy is likely to, to face. But we need to listen, we need to be curious and really hear and understand the voices of women and men because of their different cultures and persuasions. So for me, spending time on the ground to meet with potential users of projects is key if we are to understand their needs. And, you know, like I said, when I mentioned heterogeneity of women, you have women who are old, younger, women who are already in the entrepreneurship ahead, informal, formal. Some women are with young children, some have special needs. So that being on the ground, this is important to hear their voices. And finally, I have always remembered in this journey of uh, gender policy work and even operationally and strategically that we have to engage with our male allies directly. Indirectly is easy, but directly is more important. As I already said, that uh, when you're addressing gender issues, it means you're confronting challenges that face both male and female that it's never about beating one gender against the other. So I've learned in this journey that as a banker and in the corporate world, that most of the times I've been in the minority where you are championing this and again, you are the only woman talking about it, the rest are men. So building ally with male colleagues and male uh, people who are, can influence is important. And some of my best supporters have been male actually. I can mention uh, Mr. Lucas Meso while I was at AFC. Mwangi Gidaiga is still the managing director at the Kenya Women Microfinance Bank. And even my own brothers, because they are the ones I bounce my ideas to. What do they think about this? If it was their sisters or their 
mother or their aunties, what do they think? So these have been my male allies. And I know that the gains that I've made can easily disappear on my exit if I don't build alliance with my male colleagues. So I usually try to point out to them what's in it, how they can effectively get involved in these gender conversations in the banking and finance space. And you know, I can tell you that no man want women in their lives to be at a disadvantage simply because they are female. No, they do care. But we as uh, the people involved should also help or work with them to engage them directly. So that's how I can uh, summarize my, my experiences from or work with the or banking on women, really. Thank you so much for your time, Millicent. We have learned a lot from you on the recent developments in the Shi economy. And the ladies listening have heard of a few innovative products that they can take advantage of. We congratulate you for your Angaza Award recognition, and we look forward to celebrating your achievement in June during the 2022 Angaza Award Ceremony. Thank you.